Welcome to episode 117 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Welcome back to another episode. Um, we're so glad you're here and glad to talk more about telepractice. Uh, if you are on SLP kind of Facebook and Instagram groups, you probably heard some of the things that have been talked about with certifications. And there's kind of been a you know discussion about that and whether certifications are useful, a waste of money, that there's people just trying to get your money. And if if you want to go down the rabbit hole, you're welcome to go down, look that up <laughs> and go down the rabbit hole. But I just wanted to talk in general because there's a lot of certifications that do come up even and especially in now, I think, the world of telepractice, um, that it's new and there's a lot of people wanting to show that they have experience in it and are seeking, you know, some certifications in that. So I was looking around on it and the Neuro SLP on Instagram had a good um, thing about four questions that she asks herself before she goes to get a certification. And number one was, is certification actually necessary to do the thing or the treatment that you were wish to do? So we all know like LSVT loud, things like that, you cannot do without the certification. Um, and, you know, is it is it something that you can learn about without doing the certification or do you really have to be certified in it? So that's a good question to ask yourself. Um, number two is, is the certification within my budget or will my job pay for it or help me pay for it? So we can't just, you know, we all have limited funds. We can't just be throwing our money at every certification that comes up. Uh, number three is realistically, will I maintain the certification years later uh, you know, looking into things like, do you have to recertify? Do you have to go to the training again? Is there a yearly cost for it? And all of those things. And then do I really want the certification or do I want to prove that I'm good at something and beef up my resume? Um, you know, is it just something that you can add to it or do you already have that? knowledge and experience and you don't need the, you know, letters after your name or the extra thing to add on to show that you have that. And one that she did not put on there that me and Todd have talked about before is, is the training evidence-based? Is, do they have good evidence behind it? Is it something that, um, you know, just someone came up with or, uh, and decided to present on or is it something that they have good evidence for so that's another thing to look at and and I have a couple of different certifications I've felt mm -hmm. like all of them have been worthwhile and added to my knowledge um, but I went in wanting the knowledge not the certification and I think that's the important part mm -hmm. I agree I agree I think all those are great points uh, to think about uh, before spending especially lots of money mm -hmm. to go and take a training or do you know weekend workshop or even longer some of these are even longer you know like study groups and then you end up with a certification and stuff just you know i i think the evidence base is going to be important and maybe talk to someone who's already experienced it you know did yeah. they think it was worthwhile yeah 
Yeah, um, I think that's a good thing too. And be be honest about it when someone asks you about it too. If you feel like it was worthwhile, that's right. That's right. And I think I you know I think another thing we could add to that list is whoever is doing the training, um, they should have a list of people that have gone through their training, and they should give you a list of people to talk to if you're mm-hmm. interested. I mean, if if they're legit. And uh, they should be very proud to say, look at all these people here, talk to these people and see what they have to say. Right. You know, so, you know, they should be able to provide that for you. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, all these are, are really uh, great things to think about. And, and just be careful because um, not, maybe not everything out there is, is worth your time and energy and precious funds. Right. So on the podcast today, uh, we have uh, Catherine Mansowitz, and she's joining us. She is with Moving Forward Speech Therapy, and she's uh, got an interesting take on telepractice and how she's doing it. Uh, and so I think you'll enjoy hearing uh, her perspective and, and getting a, a sense of her energy, because she is just very energetic and excited about telepractice. Hi, are you creative? Do you want to give a webinar or teach a course? Maybe you're a writer. Do you want to create a blog? Maybe you have an idea for a podcast. Whatever your passion is, we at 3C Digital Media Network want you to be a content creator so we can bring your ideas to life. So, to get started, visit our website at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and sign up to be a content creator. We look forward to seeing your passions come to life on our platform. Well, Catherine, welcome to the podcast. Can you share more about your background and how you got into speech, maybe? Yes, well, thank you both so much for having me here today. Really excited to be here talking with you guys about such an awesome field that we, of course, all love. So I feel like so many people have this like really, you know, heartfelt story about how they got into speech. And mine is kind of not quite so heartfelt. I just like (laughs) sort of went to college, thought I was going to be an engineer and really, really, really quickly figured out that that is actually not where my (laughs) my passion lies. And so for a while, I was kind of like, man, what am I going to do? And my aunt has her master's degree in linguistics. And she said to me, hey, you know, if I would have gone back, I would have done speech pathology. I was like, what even is that? Mm -hmm. Um, And so kind of, you know, did a little bit more research, shadowed a couple of different people in the schools and in the hospital settings and found out like, wow, this is, you know, this is exactly what I'm looking for. I get to work with kids. I get to help them. I get to work, you know, one-on-one or small groups. So I feel like I really get to know those people. And the rest is kind of history because I just feel like, I'm so happy that I lucked into it, so to say, because I think so many people have never even really heard of the field of speech language pathology, even though then they find out that you're a speech therapist and they're like, oh, I think I went to a speech therapist, (laughs) but yet the field is so, so unknown. So I was happy Mm -hmm. to have found it because um, it really is such a great field. That's, that's awesome. So you went to New Mexico, right? 
Yes, for graduate school, I went to New Mexico and I actually did the bilingual emphasis program there. So that's what kind of drew me to there. I did it in college. I double majored in speech language pathology and Spanish. And so then I wanted to continue learning about, you know, providing intervention in Spanish, which I've done in different capacities in my profession, sometimes a lot more, sometimes not as much, but it's also something I'm really passionate about because I think it's such an underserved field. Um, So that's what led me to New Mexico and um, the University of New Mexico is a great graduate program. Highly recommend it. Felt like I really learned the tools and that's actually where I first got my start into literacy um, was Mm -hmm. through my internship there. And that's an experience that I think a lot of clinicians in graduate school don't get to experience. So I was also really thankful for that. Yeah. Uh, literacy is one of those things we're, we're, we're supposed to be experts on, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> it's just hard to, to develop that expertise as, you know, as a grad student, unless you have a great, you know, master's program or a professor who really is interested in it or a great practicum setting that really exposes you to it. It's, it's one of those things that gets talked about, but you don't get a lot mm-hmm. of experience doing it. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, And I think that's, I totally understand, like, our scope of practice is so huge. And it's like, let's just add one more thing to our plates, especially (laughs) like when you are in the schools, like, because I worked in the school for a few years. And I mean, if they had said, oh, also here do all the literacy, I would have, I mean, not been capable of doing that at (laughs) that point but being in a private practice setting it's a you can just really specialize in it and Mm -hmm. um in my internship in graduate school was uh partially with dr carol westby who's done a lot of research in the field of literacy so i feel like really blessed that i got to work with her and another really great graduate supervisor to develop that skill because literacy is just such a perfect combination of the speech side and the language side of speech language pathology, just all coming together and obviously the print form. But I think that, you know, every SLP out there should feel really confident, like to delve into it, learn new things. There's lots of great continuing education courses and we can make a huge impact because we work on everything that literacy requires instead of just decoding and then you can't understand it or just writing, but then you like just memorize all the words. So I think we have a really unique training, even if we haven't necessarily all experienced that or dabbled in it quite yet. It's something that, you know, is a huge need. And I think that our field is really well equipped to dive into. It'd be interesting Mm -hmm. to ask how many people that work in education know that SLPs have that background (laughs) because I feel like we get into Mm -hmm. schools and there's always like a reading specialist or something like that, or, you know, a special education teacher and that's their realm. And we work on like, if they have spoken language deficits and, you know, Mm -hmm. or speech deficits. And I think, you know, and maybe even SLPs forget, Oh yeah, I learned about that one time that we have that expertise and that foundation to help with literacy too. Yeah. And I think especially like the spoken language aspect of it, like I see so many kids who come in and I mean, when you dive into it, it's not a surprise that they can't read because like their phonological awareness is just not there. And, you know, that's Mm -hmm. all spoken language skills. So I always, you know, I've seen a lot of like, well, obviously we want kids to read and the speech language pathologist and us, we have that kind of, well, we know that they need this first, whereas not every other profession always like realizes just how important phonological awareness is, or if they do know how important it is, like 
how are we supposed to work on that? Like people sometimes, you know, don't even really, even if they know they should, they don't know how to address it. Um, and I always tell families, it's like, of course, you know, we want kids to learn how to read. Like that's the end goal. And I kind of, I always compare it to like building a house. Like you're so excited about your house and you want to see the walls of your house because how awesome is that? And that's the reading part of it. Like you can see it, you can know that it's happening and see the progress. But if we stick the walls up real quick with the goal of seeing the walls, but we forgot about the foundation, we might be okay for a little while, but then pretty soon we're going to be in a lot of trouble. And phonological yeah. awareness is that really solid foundation that um, is something I always love working on with kids because I know that it makes such a huge impact, even like even just working on phonological awareness. And like before I've even introduced reading, it's like we get into it right after that. And they're like, oh, you know, like you've already seen progress before you even address the actual reading skills, which is really cool. That is awesome. Well, I guess we should talk about telepractice. <laughs> Probably a good thing since this yeah, is the telepractice thing. today yeah, podcast. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so reading literacy is is very interesting to me and 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 to Kim as well. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, but we can talk about you working maybe on literacy through telepractice. Hey. Yeah. Uh, so uh, how how did the interest in telepractice evolve? So unlike a lot of people, I actually wasn't thrown into it at the beginning of the pandemic, which I felt very fortunate for because I had a lot of, you know, the basic skills down. And I definitely mm -hmm. have expanded my telepractice skill set since then when like everything became virtual. So I had right. one client I saw via telepractice for several years before um, everything kind of shut down and everything became telepractice. So mm -hmm. I had felt comfortable with that service delivery model. And I actually didn't really even have telepractice on my radar in a full time capacity at all until the pandemic started, though. So at the time, I was actually working as a travel therapist um, in the hospital. So my husband and I, um, I worked in the schools for a little while. We bought an RV. We started traveling around and doing these short term contracts to fill in for things like maternity leaves or places that couldn't find a um a full-time speech therapist for whatever reason. And I was at a hospital when everything shut down. And at that point, you know, out practice or outpatient practice uh, totally stopped. So everybody in outpatient got brought over to the hospital and all the travelers pretty much across the board got let go. And so I had to pivot then at that point. And um, I mean, everything was virtual. So I was able to get like a virtual contract through the end of the school year the next school year, I ended up working with that same contract company with a different school providing 100% telepractice. And at that point, I had realized, wow, this is really, really cool. I don't want to stop doing this. And a lot of the schools, of course, were, you know, okay, we're back in person now, like we don't want telepractice anymore. But I still saw a huge need for it and a huge interest from like the parent side of things, because it is such a convenient service delivery model, like you don't have to load up your child and all of their siblings, drive across town in traffic, um, worry about getting late, yell at each other the whole time because no <laughs> one's being quiet in the backseat. And then you finally get there and expect your child to be like ready for success at this yep. clinic. Um, and so families have just really, really liked the convenience of it, um, of being able to just hop on right from their home. And I've really seen too a lot of awesome generalization of skills. Parents are like, whoa, they're doing it at home. Well, 
it's because we're practicing already at home instead of in this, you know, kind of sterile clinical environment where we've all, I think, experienced like kid does the R sound perfectly in the clinic room and you step outside that door and then it's like everything is forgotten. Mm -hmm. And so that I feel like hasn't been as big of a, a like jump to get to the generalization because they're already in their comfortable environment. And I've also mm-hmm. felt that kids too, like they are in a comfortable place. They're not as, even the kids who are kind of shy at first, they are, they're in their home. And so they're a lot more comfortable and willing to kind of engage. And it's usually been a pretty easy transition that way. So that's kind of how I've found the field. I sort of happened into it like a lot of people, but once I was here, I knew like, this is just the perfect fit for me. And I think <laughs> it offers really great options for families too. And you, you've, uh, have your pi- private practice now, the is it moving forward speech therapy. Yep. Moving forward speech therapy, which now when I look back, I probably should have incorporated literacy into my name, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> such as life, of course you name your business and then that's what it is forever. But I always, you know, it's funny because I named the practice moving forward speech therapy. And then after I did that, I started to notice how often I actually said, yeah, we're going to make sure your child keeps moving forward. And I was like, oh, I didn't even really do that on purpose, but I say it all the time. And so now it probably sounds like a marketing gimmick, but really I just say that all the time and now I'm very aware of it. So um, yeah, so moving forward speech therapy, uh, just celebrated my one year anniversary at towards the beginning of June. Um, and things have been going really well, been really enjoying getting to work with the families I see. And so I mostly see homeschoolers, actually, I kind of mm-hmm. um, am sort of into that niche a little bit. And I absolutely love working with homeschool families, because there's so much parent engagement that you don't necessarily get to see in a school setting right. where you're only able to meet with a parent once a year if you're lucky and everyone's schedule works out. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a lot of the parents, especially for my younger kids, they'll sit in and hear what we're working on. And then I know they practice those things at home because their kid comes back the next session. And I'm like, did you practice at home? Cause you sound <laughs> awesome. Or your reading is great. Or wow, you can rhyme now. And usually the kids are like, no. And mom's like, yes, we did. So, <laughs> but I can, I can tell they're practicing because sure. you see such great improvement. So, um, so mostly I'm working with homeschoolers and most of my clients are in Florida. Um, I'm a provider for the family empowerment scholarship there. And so I've been able to mm-hmm. help out a lot through through that way that's awesome and so what are some of your go-to resources or websites that you that you really enjoy using so you guys can see me in the video and I know everyone in the podcast can't, but I have behind me a go-go speech background. So <laughs> I, we were talking earlier about how mm-hmm. awesome Abby is. And I know you guys have had her on the show a couple mm-hmm. of times. So I love her virtual background series for, especially for the younger kids. I find like up through like age eight or nine kids are really excited about it. Some kids even older than that. Mm-hmm. And it's just such an awesome way to get them engaged and playing. And we can use it for basically any speech language skill. And I also really incorporate it into my literacy activities, especially for the younger kids. So it's like, okay, well, we can look for sounds that or listen for the first sounds and words. We can say the character's name and see, okay, what sounds do we hear? Well, his name is Sam. So I hear Sam. Or, you know, what's the first sound? What's the vowel sound you hear in his name? Sometimes we'll write words on a whiteboard, things like that. And it feels just really um, engaging for the kids. I've had a lot of families say, like, 
I had one parent in particular, she was like, went to see family and everyone was asking her like, wow, like, what have you guys been doing together? And she said, well, I don't know. She's been seeing a speech language therapist and she does some kind of like blues clues magic. <laughs> I don't really know what it is. <laughs> so, and then after that, I like actually did the activity where you find clues to search for the gingerbread man. And so I was like, who found a clue? So it was really was like blues clues. <laughs> so I highly recommend anybody look into Abby's resources from GoGo Go Speech because they are super fun for the kids and really fun for me. So I have like just a great time when I'm seeing the children I'm working with. I've had my for, own kids hear me from the other room doing it. And they're like, mom, mm-hmm. what were you doing? And they want to come and see it and see how fun it is. So yeah, they're very exciting, engaging. And I figured out with my articulation kids that I get like more trials doing those and adjusting them to get their like target sounds in there and naming the characters target sounds and things like that. Mm-hmm. I get way more trials with that than when I try and do like a drill kind of game. So I've yeah. loved them for that too. Yeah. I also think it's really great for working on like generalizing skills because like, you know, I have a kid I'm working on the S sound. So we were feeding the sneaky squirrel a snack. So he wasn't necessarily thinking about the sounds as he was calling the squirrel over, but it's a great way to just, "Hmm, how do you think your sounds were that time? Was your tongue behind your teeth or did it sneak out? And then he goes, Oh, and he corrects it the next time when the squirrel comes, even though I haven't prompted him again in the future. So it's really nice for that, too. Mm-hmm. So go, go speech. Yeah. Great materials. Then, what else? Very do you good. Like? So for my older kids, I use um, for virtual virtual resources. I use a lot of the ultimate SLP games mm-hmm. and I I don't actually usually use like the stimulus cards, although they are there and really helpful, but we just kind of use the board games as a reinforcer for kids. So I use my own materials um, that I screen share. I use the Wilson program mostly Mm -hmm. for my Mm -hmm. kids. And then I kind of bring in, of course, like aspects of the science of reading and speech to print and those kinds of things kind of tailored to each child, depending on what they need for their um, speech language literacy goals. So I'll screen share things. We'll go over, we'll read the words, we'll read the sentences, then we'll give them a little brain break because not only does it make it more fun, but we also know like kids learn better when they're enjoying themselves. And actually if they have time to like decompress and process for even just that short amount of time, they Mm kind of get that reset that they need to keep working hard throughout the whole session. So I really like using a lot of those games, board games, guess who type game, Uno, all of those with my older kids. And even the teenagers um, still think it's fun, but they would never let you know that. (laughs) Oh, I I pulled out Uno. Yeah, I pulled out Uno lots of times with high school yeah. students. <laughs> and they, of course, you know, they would never let anybody else know that, but we have a fun time together. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so what, so what's... those are two of my yeah biggest resources. Sorry about that. No, that's awesome. So so what what do you want to see happen with your practice? Where do you want to go with it? Any, I would any like to, yeah, so... Long-term plan is to continue kind of doing what I'm doing. My caseload is pretty much full right now. So I know a lot of people at this point are thinking, well, okay, this is when we need to hire and we need to expand. But I think you have probably seen if you're in social media in any capacity on the telepractice groups, just how big of an issue it is in our field, like 
kind of compensation for therapists. And there's so many really, really big companies that just don't pay therapists like what they're worth. And we have a master's degree. And obviously, we all do this because we love the field, but you have to be able to feed your family and take care of your kids or you're not going to feel like you want to do this job anymore. And I've seen that a lot. So my personal opinion is like when I, if I have a wait list, like I'm going to refer out to people and I'm going to recommend, like, I've already talked to some of my friends. I'm like, start your own private practice. You can do it. <laughs> like it can be via teletherapy. Families love it. Um, and so I think that that's a great way to, first of all, empower other clinicians and make sure that we're all getting what we need to make sure that this is a sustainable field for many, many years to come that people are excited to come into and practice. And they don't hear, oh, you're going to get burned out in that field. They hear, wow, that's such a great field. You'll get to make Mm -hmm. such a big impact on kids and like provide for your family and things like that. And I also think it's better for families because then they know exactly like who they're going to be working with. They're not like just getting stuck into somebody who's caseload had an opening at that time and may or may not be the best fit for their child because we all have unique skills like that we bring to the table and children are unique. And each therapist I think can meet different kids needs in a different way. And I think if we have more independent practitioners that allows everybody to get exactly what they need and really feel fulfilled and feel like they're making the biggest impact. So that's kind of like what I see for myself is continuing to sustain what I'm already doing um, because I absolutely love it. I love the families I work with and I can't imagine like ever leaving private practice and (laughs) leaving telepractice. I, I just can't see that for myself because um, like I've said, kind of throughout this whole thing, it's, it's awesome. And it's really great <laughs> for families and I can travel and still do my job. And all of that is really cool. So how did people find you and how do you get clients? I know that's something that I think a lot of people wonder if I'm going to do telepractice, private practice, how, how do I get started kind of? Mm-hmm. So I have found a lot of my clients through Facebook groups that I'm in um, and kind of some specific groups for um, the scholarship program that I provide a lot of my services through. I see families ask about support and I say like, hey, I can do that. And I share my website. And on my website, I have a little video of my go-go speech background. Even for the older kids, I've had parents say, oh, I saw your video and I thought my kid would really be excited to meet you. Even if like maybe we're not doing that activity, it kind of lets parents see like they get a little snapshot of like who I am as a person because, you know, in that type of capacity, like you obviously want somebody who's going to be a good fit for your child. So they get like a little glimpse of what I would be like as a therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's been a big way. I'm just now in the past several months, I've been doing some marketing courses as well um, with somebody who specializes in working with other healthcare providers. So lots of like SLP, but also PTOT, psychologists, those kinds of people, and basically working on developing meaningful relationships with other providers. Because so often, Mm -hmm. like in private practice and across other fields too, we all sort of get into our own little world. And sometimes we're all so busy that it's hard to like have the collaboration that we do in other settings. Like when I worked in a school, I loved getting the psychologist test. It was like gold. And, you know, I don't get that a lot now, but as I'm connecting with more and more people, I'm able to collaborate and say like, oh, hey, if you evaluate a child and see they have literacy concerns, I can provide that. Likewise, a lot of times I have parents and they're like, you know, I really think I want to do a little bit more testing and know what's going on. Or, you know, I feel like my child, a lot of things come up in speech language therapy. And it's like, you know, I think 
the child would benefit from counseling with a professional because we talk a lot and things come up and kids are like, yeah, could you mention that to my mom? And so having those professionals that I also can refer out to, I think is great for everybody in the field because Mm -hmm. it's having that interconnection, I think also is helpful for families because, you know, if if their kid is really working well with me and I get along with so-and-so, the psychologist, well, they're probably going to have a good experience with them too. So that's been another thing that I've been working on developing. And it's also just been really nice to get to talk to other professionals. Um, Like I said, it can kind of sometimes be a little bit of a lonely world in private practice as a solo (laughs) practitioner. Um, And so it's, it's really fun, like just today too, talking to you guys and getting to talk about my profession with people who are in that space is really nice too. Yeah. I just love um, the idea too of creating like that everyone has their little niche within speech language pathology because it's impossible for us all to know it all. And then Mm -hmm. having, you know, the private practice model allowing you to specialize in that. And then the telepractice model on top of that, allowing people to access you no matter where you are Mm -hmm. and get that, that specialized services. Yeah, that's definitely a huge benefit of telepractice is like I see some families that they would not have a provider at all, right. let alone somebody they feel like is a good fit for their child based on where they live. Um, and obviously, we want children to be successful, whether they live in a big city or a rural area or wherever. And it does definitely like allow families just so much more freedom to find that right fit for them because they don't have to drive Mm -hmm. forever to get to where I am. They can just hop on the couch. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Different meaning to couch surfing, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. True. True. Well, Catherine, I think it's time for the most important part of our, of our interview here. And that is our moment of Zen. Are you, are you feeling Zen like? I'm feeling pretty zen-like. Okay, good, good, good. So we have uh, three different lists of questions, A, list A, B, and C, and you can choose which list you want, list A, B, or C. So which which one would you like? I'll go with list A. Very good. So this is just a little activity we do with our guests to get to know you even better. How's that? Okay, sounds great. Okay, first question is, what's the most used app on your phone? Hmm. Probably Facebook, because that's where I get a lot of my clients from. So I sort of justify the scrolling and be like, well, wonder if I see somebody that might need my help. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes I do. And sometimes I get distracted. So probably Facebook. That's that's me, too. I'm like, I could get off of there, but then I would miss when David Sindri posts new free things. There you go. So true. Oh. <laughs> Got to keep on the lookout only one yep. day. Yep. <laughs> well, just the point of fact that our number one answer for that question is Tinder. So it's, it's interesting. Oh. It is oh, not. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, I'm happily married. So that's a no for me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, next question. What was the last TV show or movie that you streamed? Oh, this is embarrassing because Uh-oh. it was The Bachelorette. Ooh. <laughs> it's my guilty pleasure when I just need to decompress and be like, not have to really use my brain while I'm watching TV. I, I'm 
claiming this as research for being in New Orleans for ASHA, but I started watching Five Days at Memorial. It's on Apple Plus, and it's like about after Hurricane Katrina, and it is so good. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm over here talking about watching. The like, match, but I might, I might need that. I think I need that after I watch this because it is so intense. But, but, <laughs> and then but, you're just like, how can that, I fix that's the world the and learn about disasters? <laughs> but, but, but Kim, in full disclosure, what would you like to watch? And what would I like to watch? It would, yeah. Well, it would probably be. Um, like Law and Order SVU or, or Dateline. Or... You're brave. I would the, have the... nightmares for forever. True crime. Who killed? You know. Yes. Yes. That's her. That's her favorite. Yes. Oh, I did. Did. I did just watch the Tinder Swindler as we're talking about Tinder being our number one app. That was a good one. Every time the I kids that. I see start talking about scary shows, I'm like, stop. I will have nightmares. My teenagers always kind of <laughs> chuckle at me, but they mm-hmm. stop. So I don't have nightmares, which is great. So you're much braver mm-hmm. I'll, than I. I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're fine. <laughs> okay. Next question. Uh, what's a favorite book? Hmm. Well, recently I just read The Happiness Advantage. Oh. And I, I can't remember the author off the top of my head, which I really should. Um, because mm-hmm. I think I have another book that I'm reading by him right now. But it's really, uh, I think, a great book for everybody to read, talking about like how our brains kind of in today's society were like wired still to like look out for threats, even though probably mm-hmm. a lion isn't going to come grab us. So we're constantly kind of scanning like, okay, negative thing, got to fix it, negative thing, got to avoid it, negative thing, negative thing, negative thing. And we can rewire our brain, which we all know about neuroplasticity and how awesome that is. So we can rewire our brain to look for the positive things instead. And life is a lot happier when you do that. So, um, and I thought it was just so interesting because he really talks a lot about how Sometimes people are like, oh, man, that person just has all the luck. Like they just get Mm -hmm. every good luck comes to them. And there's actually science behind it showing that those people who have the good luck are really actually just more trained to look for the positive opportunities and capitalize on them, even though the other people might have those same opportunities presented, but their brain is trained to ignore that and look for a threat. And so I thought that was really interesting and also sort of reassuring because I think a lot of times like as new practitioners or like newer to private practice we are all are always kind of like you know how did you get into this well I just kind of got lucky but <laughs> it's sort of reassuring to know that really there is actually a lot more going on than that and that we can all use that to our advantage to be happier mm-hmm. and be healthier and help the other people around us be a lot happier too so that is a great book that I would recommend if I want to have fun Harry Potter even more fun i guess that's my other one that's awesome uh next question if you could create one law or behavior that everyone had to do what would it be i would say that before you complete an action you should think about the other person or the other people around you Because I think that would take care of a lot of things like across the spectrum, a lot of disagreements and issues. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of the things we've been seeing in the world today arise because we all get so stuck on, well, this is my idea. 
And of right. course, as speech language pathologists, we work on perspective taking, but I think every one of us is probably guilty of not always doing that. And I think if we did think about things from other people's point of view more often, the world would probably be a lot of a happier place and everyone would get along a lot better. So that would be my law. That's awesome. Um, who would you like to have dinner with, dead or alive? I'm going to get sad. I would want to have dinner with my grandparents again because oh, I had nice. a really special relationship with them and I'd love to get to do that again. Oh, that's nice. Very good. Talking about scary things, what's the oh, no. scariest <laughs> thing you've ever done? So, And you can define scary in any, any way that you'd like. Hmm. That is a good question. The scariest thing I've ever done. Probably going skiing for the first time <laughs> I thought I was gonna die <laughs> um, <laughs> and I've grown a lot since then so my advice is to learn how to stop before you actually go <laughs> on to anything that's a, that's a good plan <laughs> then at least you can stop before the cliff comes um so once I learned that skill things got a whole lot more fun but before <laughs> that it was very terrifying it, it's easier the younger you start. I started when I was three. I've been skiing since oh. I was three. So. That's how my husband is. I think he got yeah. snuck into ski school when he was two. They were like, yeah, he's like <laughs> three or four. And so he always skied growing up. And I didn't actually really learn until graduate school because my husband loved it. And he's like, you've got to learn how to ski. Like, we're going to ski together. And going to school in New Mexico course there were mountains around and things so i i did learn and since then i have overcome my fears i've skied lots of black diamonds i even went heli skiing one time so that was awesome. pretty cool that's awesome, but actually yeah. i use that experience a lot to talk about with like my kids because and when i say my kids i mean like my clients um mm -hmm. because i say like when I first started skiing, I hated it and I was bad at it and it made me stressed out and it was scary. And I know that it's not really fun to do something that's super hard. And a lot of the times like, you know, kid comes to see me and we're working on the stuff that's the very hardest for them that they've probably right. had a bad mm -hmm. experience with in the past. And so I use that kind of as a little metaphor. I tell them about how terrible I was. And then I say, but now I love it. And it's my favorite hobby. And they're like, wait, what? Um, and so I think that that's been a good way to relate to, you know, everybody has things that they're really good at and things that are really difficult for them. Um, and no one really likes to do something that's not very fun for them. So thinking about encouraging kids through that so that they can experience the joy of like being able to read. Or I had a, a teenager say to me the other day, he's like, I'm so excited because I can finally message my friends. And that wow. was just like, just so cool. So working through those hard emotions kind of comes with part of our territory too. But having some of those experiences myself in different capacities, it reminds me, you know, everybody can benefit from that encouragement. And sometimes the end result is a lot of fun. Yeah. That's right. That's that. really cool. Yeah. Um, where is the most exotic or farthest place you've been? So the furthest place I've been is Peru. Um, when I was in college, I went to Peru for a summer and I volunteered as an English teacher there. So I got to use my Spanish skills and really develop those. And that was actually the point where I felt like I could actually use this in my profession because before that, and any second language learner will probably tell you this is there's always some doubts and some like, oh, you know, like, how good am I really at this? And that experience just kind of encouraged me to be like, yeah, like I can do this and continue practicing and offer this service that people really need a lot of times. Um, and 
had a really good time hanging out in Lima, got to see a lot of cool cultural things. And then at the end, my family came down and we went to the jungle and we went to Machu Picchu. And nice. it's a really cool country that has just so many different things because it has coastline and then mountains and then jungle all wrapped up in one country and just such a rich culture too. Yeah, that's awesome. Very cool. I, I've never been, but I, I want to go. I highly recommend it. If you do ever go to Machu Picchu, you got to get there really early because then you can get photos before there's people all over the place. And do they have elevators yet? <laughs> no elevators. They do have a bus He's that waiting. takes you up, though. Okay. <laughs> so I can you do don't a bus. have to. Yeah, you don't have to walk up, but there is like I think a four-day trek or something to the top. But oh, we did not do that. We took the bus instead. <laughs> yeah, I can sit on the bus. That's good. <laughs> Um, if you didn't choose your current profession, what would you like to try? Well, I always thought that I would be a writer, like an author when I was a kid. And I actually have gotten to do a lot of freelance writing um, professionally, too. So that would have been probably the other field I would have gone into. Not mm -hmm. engineering, as we discussed at the <laughs> beginning. Found out pretty quickly I didn't like that. But if I were to choose something else, hmm. I think it would be really fun to be a potter. I really enjoy pottery and I took some courses in in um, college and actually grad school. They had like open studio time when I went in and threw some things on the wheel and, <laughs> and that was a lot of fun. And every time that I'd, I'd be doing art, I'd just get like in the zone and then pretty soon it would be two in the morning and I <laughs> would say, oh no, I have class tomorrow at eight. I better go to bed. So if that was something that if I was going to go into a different field and maybe if I didn't have to worry about money, I would uh, probably <laughs> pick that because I think we've all heard the term starving artist before, right. but my mom's an art teacher though. So I grew up loving art and, and knowing that it's important to the world. Sure. That's great. Um, what is a pet peeve that you have? This is super nerdy, and I feel like only speech-language pathologists will relate to this. It's when people say then and than interchangeably because they don't mean the same thing at all. <laughs> Very <laughs> That's true. it. That's my biggest the pet peeve. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> <laughs> Last question. If heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you enter the pearly gates? Well, I believe heaven does exist. and. I would want him to say, you did good. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Trying to be, of course, a good person and help others to reach their best potential. And, and I, would, I will be very excited when I get to see all of my friends and family again someday. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Catherine, we think you are doing a great job. And uh, so keep up the great work that you're doing. And how can people reach out to you? Maybe you want to uh, get in contact? What can, what's the easiest way? Um, so the easiest way to get in contact would probably be to go to my website. It's movingforwardspeech.com. And from there, it has my phone number and my email address so people can contact me. Um, I oftentimes can't answer the phone during the day. So email or text is usually the best way to actually get a response from me. Um, otherwise, if you do leave a message, I'll try to get back to you. But I, I love the field. I love speech therapy. I love telepractice. And I really have had a lot of great people in my life to 
show me the ropes and teach me things and help me advance my career. And so I'm always excited when I'm able to help somebody else in a similar way, regardless of how old they are or how long they've been in the field. Like I think each of us has something we can share and I'm always excited to pass that along. So don't hesitate to reach out if you have any questions. That's great. Well, we great. appreciate you being with us and uh, good luck with everything you're you're doing. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to get to talk to both of you guys. Well, that was Catherine from Moving Forward Speech Therapy. So check out what she's doing. She's really doing a lot of great work with telepractice and how she has set up her private practice. And uh, she has a lot of great ideas. So take a look at what she's doing. And thank you for listening to this episode. If you don't mind, leave us a great review. That helps us to uh, attract some new subscribers and grow this podcast, which is, again, what we're always trying to do. Until next week, we'll be back with another episode focused on telepractice service delivery. So until next week, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.